una palabra no dice nada y al mismo tiempo lo esconde todo. A word that has, that says nothing, but at the same time says everything. It's not as nice in English. But no, it's a lot better in Spanish, man. There you go. And you always want to listen to it in Spanish, man. That, that is my song. Does that count? It totally counts. A thousand percent okay. it counts. Welcome Thank to you. the show, Moaz. I really appreciate you coming in here, man. Thank you. I know we've been chatting Glad for quite some here. time. And, yes. and uh, you framers are a hard bunch to get a hold of or actually get in front of the mic. Yeah, you're not the first one to say that. That's absolutely <laughs> right. You guys are too busy swinging the hammer. Something like that, yeah. So welcome. Welcome to the <laughs> yeah, construction no, life, thank man. Thank you for having me here. I'm Thanks. glad to be here. It's great. It's great to finally meet you and just yep. chat. So we're going to have an interesting show. We're going to talk a lot about framing and your yep. business and where you come from and, and everything like that and why framing, all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. Let me do a few shout outs just to begin with. So yep. I got Matthew Palladini's uh, hoodie on uh, from E6 Analytics. So he does a lot of building or business consulting. Uh, so I'm wearing his hoodie. As everybody knows, I wear somebody else's uh, swag as I do the shows. But uh, today we've got Moez Zaman. Zaman? Yep. Uh, Barbudo Construction Inc. And you've been doing it for a year and a half under the the company name. That's right. Yeah, but you've been in construction longer for than that. For a very long time, yeah. Yeah, so barbudaconstruction at gmail.com, everybody. And it's on Instagram. It's barbuda. And it's spelled B-A-R-B-U-D-O underscore construction. Yes, sir. Where do we want to begin, man? Um, why'd you choose framing um did you ever ask the question why did you choose this trade and then they say the trade chose me kind yeah, of yeah we've heard I that guess before that's probably a pretty common answer so i won't say that <laughs> no it's not yeah, it's, you can um, say whatever you want to say man yeah i mean um in all honesty framing is i have experience doing a number of trades um real experience i don't mean i spent a weekend painting a shed like i've actually had years in several trades um framing is by far the most exciting, uh, versatile, where I can express my, 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 my creativity the most, I would say. What were the ones that you disliked the most? I don't dislike any of the trades that I, that I have had experience in. If I had to pick a trade that I would not like to do, I would say something like maybe service plumber or underpinning. Those are probably the least glamorous trades. Um, maybe that's not fair to say, but yeah, uh, personally, those are the things that I would not look forward to doing when I wake up every morning kind of a thing. It's interesting you say both of those, and the first one that comes to my mind is service plumbing, but I'll say this much. There's a lot of money in service plumbing. Yeah, absolutely. No, But I mean, a lot of people that are in the construction industry are not necessarily in it for the money. No. Right? So, But I mean, I think at some point in your career, you, you kind of start listening to the money you know what i'm you saying you have to you have to because yeah. it's still an operating you're still business you're still running things yeah and you're still trying to be a profitable as much as you want to be a nice person a nice employer to your employees to yes. your clients everything like that at the end of the day we all got to make a profit yeah no matter how much fun you're having on site um if you're not on top of your bank you're not going to be able to have fun in that capacity for very long so, so who taught you that or where did you get those lessons I would say it's not one specific person that I learned that from, but over the years, over um, conversations with experienced people, I'm thankful that I started at a time when people in the generation that doesn't really um, work anymore were still active, and I got to learn from really old school guys. Um, in the first 
kind of framing gig that I had, I happened to get paired up with a, an old Italian dude who was 67, I think, at the time. And he was a carpenter since he was 13 years old. Wow. He worked for VanBots. Um, and he worked there. When that company went through like three or four different owners, he was there throughout. People like me, like young bucks, who actually have a passion for the trade, would fight to work with someone like that. And I just happened to get paired with him. So that was a blessing. How did the stars line me. up for you for that? How did that it, happen? It just so happened that the contractor who hired me happened to be friends with this guy. He was retired at the time, right? Did you so know anything about him? I didn't know anything about him until I met him. So what was it that he was saying or not saying, doing that? Well, when you're, when you're a 67-year-old who has been in framing and construction for decades, you have a you you are basically a walking encyclopedia you have you a have a swagger knowledge. you have yeah. a you have a, a presence about you exactly yeah and so uh thankfully i was not stupid enough to let all of those lessons kind of go under the radar even though i was a young kid and probably not you know fully uh conscious of what i need to pay attention to and and not um i did get a lot of valuable lessons and so over the years um having conversations with people at that caliber and doing the jobs, the types of things that we do, that's where you kind of learn the lessons that you need to move forward, to have a profitable business, um, to kind of succeed in the industry. How old are you now, man? I'm 38. So how old were you when you had the opportunity to, to work with him? I think it was, must have been 23. Two twenty-three. I, I, it's, it's too far back for me were, to remember Were you too nervous to ask him anything? Were you intimidated? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. He was a pretty approachable type of guy. Um, it was just the two of us doing smaller scale projects. And so by smaller scale, I mean like a 1500 foot addition on Mississauga Road yeah. kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, no, that was never a problem for me. But, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for, for that experience, among others. For Did sure. he see that you were hungry at the very beginning, that you were very interested in, in absorbing as much as you possibly can? I, I would say so. The fact that he took the time to show me the ropes, not everybody is worthy of that kind of attention by an old-timer, right? Um, so I would say that he noticed, just like me right now, like I'm definitely not at that level, but I do have... Like, I, our youngest guy on our crew is 20 years old. Um, he used to be a service plumber. When he came to us a few months ago, he had no framing experience. This guy has heart and passion, and I see that in him. And that's the reason why he was hired and why he's still with us. Um, I tell guys like that, nobody is born with experience. But if you have the passion and you have the heart that's the basis of what you need. And then you take that with you and then you can, you know, you can make something of yourself. If you don't have that, you could still succeed in the industry, but I don't know how high up the ladder you can go until you kind of plateau. I mean, I'm loving everything you're saying, but the thing is lately I've been getting a lot of experienced tradespeople, specifically framers yeah. that are nervous about taking green 20 year olds on because they know that, there's a lot of work involved yeah. and they're not exactly sure if that work is going to pay off for their business in the end. I understand. You don't look at it that way or absolutely. That's my main concern. Like if you're hiring a green guy um, or, or a male or female, in my opinion, you know, don't expect to make money off of this person. Initially you're paying for this person to learn and you're hoping that 
as the years go by, that those learning uh, experiences will pay dividends to you, kind of a thing, right? So this guy is not going to, any, anybody who starts in the industry, if you're day one in construction, I don't think you're going to be profitable for your employer. That's not the way it works. How many right years away. you think it takes? I, I would say it depends on the person. It depends on a number of circumstances. But, you know, maybe bet- after a year, if you don't have the requisite skills in order to be able to do basic tasks, um, I would say that would be a cause for concern. Yeah. I don't mean you're cutting the roof after a year. But if you have to, if you're given basic instructions, I think a year is more than enough time in order to be able to work efficiently enough that you are generating, you're, you're contributing to the profit generating flow that's supposed to be there in a company. I've always said this, and it's gotten me into trouble sometimes, but mm. I tell people that have their own businesses and they're running them that you have to hire people that are going to care about your business as much as you care about your business. Yeah. And it, that means uh, so many different things on so many different levels. And it's not that I'm, I'm asking any employee to bust their hump just for nothing i'm yeah. just i'm asking them to be a part of the collective the team yeah. that's going to see that i'm a small mom and pop shop i'm a small business owner yeah. uh you know i'm starting something on my own i've got a lot of overhead i've got all kinds of stuff i've got a lot of i got employees to take care of i got clients yeah. to take care of i've got gcs to nurture relationships to work when the when economy hits and things start downturning i got to turn to people i i'm building a brand right yeah so i, I just like i i get but then you get the younger generation because I wanted to. What was the gentleman's name? The old school guy's name, Antonio. And as I was telling you the story, I was trying to remember, and I am so mad at myself for not remembering his full name, Antonio. Something. It's okay. All right. I mean, Tony's fine. Antonio's yeah. fine. But did he have anything? I mean, we're talking 17, 16, 17 years ago that you worked uh, with uh, him. Something like that, maybe a bit longer. I don't want to put age on you and try Pro- to think. Probably, you, yeah, yeah, probably you're right. 17, 18 years ago, I would say. Yeah. So, so did he have anything negative, positive to say about the up-and-coming generation? Because it's recently I had a conversation where, unfortunately, a lot of people are getting out of construction. Over the holidays, mm-hmm. I think something turned, and I think a lot of people are realizing that the opportunities are not there. And these aren't people that are just getting started in construction. Yeah. These are people that have been in construction for 10 plus, probably even 20 plus years. Oh, wow. okay. And they're looking at it like, I don't know if, how much longer I'm going to stay in here. Or they've already yeah. made the decision to get out, right? Yeah. So I know that there's always going to be a shortage. So I started thinking, did Antonio have the same mindset back then? Because heart and passion drives a lot of us in construction yeah. to keep moving forward. But yeah. in the end of the day, man, Moes, we, we've got a business to run. You yeah, got no, ma- absolutely. You got bills to pay. You got I, family. I, mean, I don't think any generation looks too favorably to the upcoming generation. I think that's rare. So a boomer will look at a at a millennial Gen, yeah, or Gen, Gen, Xer. Gen X and be like, ah, these guys are soft. Back in my day, we used to be so tough. And I'll look at a Gen Z and be like, dude, what is wrong with your brain? And I'm sure when the Gen Z generation <laughs> is my age, <laughs> they're going to look at what is going to happen to that next generation. So that's kind of the way society works, not just the industry. So when, you know... We often hear things like, oh, back in the day, people were such hard workers and they were so committed. And today, kids are so entitled and they want everything to be handed to them on a silver spoon. And I agree with that to a large extent. But I think that's just like a 
perpetual problem that's going to be there. It's never going to go away. So I like to look at it on an individual basis. Yeah. I can't group every 20-something-year-old person in the same category. No. I can make a generalization, which may be accurate or not to varying levels, but it comes down to the person. Uh, I would not work with a... 20, with, with someone green, unless I felt that they have a future in this industry. A lot of people contact me and say, oh, my kid needs a summer job or something like that needs to happen. And do you think you can uh, put him to work? And I said, number one, that's impossible because you can't even be on a job site without various safety credentials and certifications and all that stuff. This isn't 25 years ago where you could send your kid off to work with someone. It doesn't work that way. But more importantly, it's uh, I need to invest my time knowing that something will come out of it, even if it's not for me personally. Maybe this person will go on and make a career for him or herself somewhere else, and that's perfectly fine by me. But there has to be something that comes out of it. So, you know, finding people that have that you know, that one in 10, that's very difficult to do, especially in today's labor market. You kind of have to take what you can get, in my opinion. Um, there isn't a, a surplus of labor out there where people like me can pick and choose. Um, that being said, you want to be selective as much as possible. You want to make the right decisions and you want to invest your time in people that will take that knowledge and that experience and do something constructive with it. Is that your ratio? One in 10? I always thought it was a little higher. Ratio for people that are like, that have a few, that have. Yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, so, something like that. Again, I'm talking about people that can excel, people that can be at the top of their industry. I would, I would put that at. What's that young tradesperson doing when they first meet you? I mean, first of all, they're scared. Yeah. Right? Because. I don't care who you are. My first day, I don't care what age you are. Yeah. I don't care where your background's from. Yeah. I don't care immigrant born here. Well, I don't yeah. care. You show up on a construction job site for the very first time, you're scared. Terrified. You're terrified because yeah. you're seeing a machine unfold like you've never seen it before. You can't yeah. read about it. You can't no. see it on TV. You, you have to experience it. You have to be there standing and yeah. you're going to be scared shitless. So... Get rid of that scared shitless feeling out of your, your body when you're standing there. But when you meet that person, that yeah. young tradesperson that wants to get to a certain point, what are they doing right and what are they doing wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say what you're, what you're doing right is if you're paying attention, if you're showing people the, the willingness to learn, the appetite for knowledge and experience, um, those are the things that you can do right the most what you're doing wrong is you're making it very obvious that you're only there because you have to be or you're only there because you're you were limited in your choices and out of all of the bad choices this was the best one this was the least of it's the so bad true. so this is the one that you went with don't make that mentality or attitude obvious to the people around you it's not going to do anybody any favors, including yourself. You're getting a lot of generation. It's funny that, I mean, yeah, like I was telling you before we just got started. So this is our first show back from our hiatus. We took a little break and yeah. we 
made so many shows last year and, and now we're just getting back into the swing of things. And I've had a number of conversations of all kinds of different tradespeople and mm-hmm. money's been on the top of the list. Yeah. And for whatever, maybe it's my age, whatever, I keep on saying, stop chasing the money, man. Like, I don't yeah. know what, it, what does that mean? That's all the younger generation saying. What do you mean? What does that mean? I don't understand what that means. I need to chase the money. Yeah. I need to be making more. You start giving them an opportunity where they'll make X amount and it's never enough. They'll look at that number and they'll say, no, I need to make more. No, not once did I have a conversation where they say, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't need to make more. No, everyone's asking for more. Yeah. How do you handle that, man? I mean, to be quite honest, in today's market, I think tradespeople don't have much to complain about. Prices are high. um, Demand is high and supply is low. Um, If you are a small business owner like myself in the industry at a time like this you're probably doing fairly well yeah everybody's situation is different obviously but you know from a macroeconomic point of view the statistics are in your favor yes um when you say stop chasing the money i think what you mean is put your heart into what you do um don't cut corners try to be the best at what you do and money will find its way to you kind of a thing if you work with integrity um, that's your surest way to financial prosperity kind of a thing. If you're single-mindedly focused on money and you're not, for instance, looking after your employees, for instance, you mentioned you want to have employees that feel the same way about the business as you do. Yeah. That is almost impossible unless you give them an incentive, unless you give them a reason to identify with that business. If you treat your guys like disposable units of labor, what do you expect to get out of that type of a relationship? It's impossible, right? So if you focus on these aspects of your business, automatically that's a money-generating system kind of a thing i don't I know if that's no, what you, I, I, I don't know if that's what you mean no, when that's, you say, that's exactly what i mean i totally but, agree with you on but, that but yeah that that's what it is that being said it is a relatively profitable time to be in business it may not be like this forever um i mean it, it won't be like this forever things fluctuate there are good and bad times this happens to be a great time um so that's how i see that human beings you know, our nature is to be greedy at times. I, I believe that. Um, our nature is to always want more. So that's perhaps one of the aspects of being human that you aspire to elevate yourself beyond, maybe, right? Um, but that's kind of what we have to deal with. Yeah. I, I, I came across and I started talking to some guys saying that instead of chasing the money, chase the opportunity. Start focusing on opportunities. Yeah. Right. And and I there's a there's a thing on, on job sites when we're sometimes we're working away on job sites and it's it may not be the best job and it may not be the best project and it may not be the best money that you're making, but it's kind of like you're using your skill set and you're performing those skill sets to the abyss. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, you, in the back of your head, you're thinking that it's not giving me anything. Yeah. I'm not getting anything in return. But that's not true. You're missing the opportunity. You that's don't right. know who you're working with, where they're going to go, who they're going to become. Yep. You don't know if that other green person that you're working alongside with, that you guys are doing all the Joe jobs at the beginning, 
you don't know where people are going to go. Absolutely. And then you're missing opportunities. So yeah. start chasing those opportunities and you'll start seeing things open up for you, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've had people contact me after, honestly, like eight years. I forgot all about these people. And then you get a contact. So yeah, like you said, you never know the relationships you build and the contacts you make can flower and blossom into things that you would have never imagined. Yeah. And for me personally, that's how I kind of came up into the industry. Um, and that's very well how, how it could happen. So yeah, like I agree with you 100%. You never know. So you want to commit yourself to making the most out of those potential opportunities because 10 years down the line, that could be your ticket into the next uh, phase of your kind of construction career. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it about framing that got you hooked, Moaz? I mean, like, what was that? Do you remember the day, the job, the skill, like the project that you were working it, it, on? It, it wasn't one job or one event or one kind of day. It was more the collection of experiences. When you're doing uh, custom framing, you really get to work on cool projects and you get to do, I mean, you switch it up every now and then. There's always some new detail or, or, or a new, you know, product or something that's out there. Uh, that way you kind of, it's not monotonous. You always get to flex your creativity, yeah. you know. So the, the same may be true for, I can't speak as, as intimately about other trades, Maybe everybody feels this way about their trade, but uh, for they me, do. yeah, for um, me, framing <laughs> is definitely up there. Like I, you know, there's no objective answer to the question, what's the most important trade? Everybody can. They're all equal you. unless you ask a drywaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, man, drywallers, they is all think right? they're the best. Well, eh? They're amazing, but okay. they're all equal uh, in my eyes. So you guys sent your hate letters to me. I don't care. I'd never read them. Yeah. But I, 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 everybody has that same passion. I've, yeah. I've seen people completely in love with sheet metal and their tin men and great, tin women, yeah. and they know how to do beautiful duct work and, and yeah. gas fitters and service people. Like everybody has their, it's just finding their heart and their passion in the trade that they're they're working for it's all yeah it exactly and then it goes back to your question like why did you choose for instance framing or whatever it might be you know i think everybody every individual human being has something to offer that yes. nobody else can i believe in that it sounds like a cliche or it's you not. know, but it, it's true i yeah. do believe in that um and some people honestly are meant for whatever it is they're doing and when they're doing it you can tell you can be like, yes, this person is in his, her element. Mm -hmm. This is what they're meant to do. It comes so naturally, you know, and so if you can find that for yourself, you, you're never going to work another day. Like you are, you are set kind of a thing, right? If I got $10 million tonight, I would still be at work tomorrow kind of a thing, right? So if you can find that spot for yourself, that's that's really what you want to what you want to aim for. For me, it happens to be framing, sheet metal. Great, all the power Anything, to whatever, whatever it, is, it might yeah. happen to be. You would just show up tomorrow with a bunch of new tools. That's all. Really yeah, right. probably. <laughs> yeah, I'd go to Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go on the crew, man. So, how many yeah. people on your crew right now? Uh, right now, there's uh, four to five of us. Okay. Um, actually, one of one of the guys on our crew, he used to work for you a very long time ago. His name is Ray. He is by far my most uh, the, the most experienced, dependable, reliable senior person on the crew. He's, yeah. he, he's, he's great. Um, uh, we also, we had a girl that was working with us summer for a while and she loved you. 
Uh, but she's she she moved on. She might Summer. be back soon. Yeah, her name is Summer. She's Ray Ray Asian guy. Yeah. Okay, I remember Ray yeah, now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And That's the immigrant in me, man. I gotta yeah. find out <laughs> what, what your ethnic background is, then yeah. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Korean. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's great. I'm so thankful to have him. Um, last year, I had to take off for paternity leave for a while, and he kind of took over operations. Nice. And that was an amazing. So he's grown up, me. man. Yeah, no, Ray is, uh, he, yeah. He, yeah, he's a solid dude. He he's, was a good kid then, I remember. Yeah, yeah, he probably, he was with you when he was probably pretty new to Yeah, things. he was green. He was but green, yeah. But yeah. no, now he's come, he's come a long way, like all of us, me too, right? Summer, um, I don't know thing. if I've ever, I've never met Summer. You've never met her, but she's absolutely in love with everything that you do. Yeah? Yeah, she was really excited. Uh, a, a while back, you gave me some advice. I actually reached out to you because we were doing a composite uh I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when I told her, yeah, I talked to Manny and he suggested putting these teak dominoes or biscuits or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. These fence boards to stay true. He's, she started going. She's like, oh, I would love to meet this guy. And he's so great. <laughs> Got to get her on the stuff. show. Tell her to come on the show. Yeah, okay. Well, there you I go. I would love I'll, to have her on the I'll, show. I'll, get I'll her and Rayan. Get the crew on the yeah, show, okay. man. Absolutely. Volume two. That's what we we'll Volume do. two. And then we'll <laughs> upset the drywallers. <laughs> Why are there so many framers on the show now? Yeah. No, no, I love hearing that. So, yeah. okay, so four or five, and and, yeah. and I mean, I just want everybody to know, okay, it's Canada. Yeah. It's winter. Yeah. Framing is not the most attractive, man, these no. days. You get either those cold, cold, windy days, or you yeah. get those cold, wet days, right? Yeah. Then you get snow, and you get a shovel. Shoveling snow on a Monday morning when it feels like minus 21 is probably one of the least fun experiences in framing that and leaning over to nail fascia board on uh, where it's really far away yeah. those are my two least favorite things in framing i would say yeah it's one little one little i know it's risk yeah a lot of risk snow and plywood and wood is very slippery people yeah. don't realize how sheeting slippery a 14 12 roof when there's ice on the plywood is not the funnest thing to do so all yeah. you new kids out there just understand that it's not a race you don't have to do it fast yeah. you just got to do it carefully yeah, yeah. safety wise yeah, right absolutely that's that's the first thing everybody wants to go home at the end of the day we all love framing but beyond framing we all have lives that we'd like to return to after 5 p.m yeah exactly <laughs> you did finish that fence though right you did it slightly different but you did finish that yeah fence. no i use teak dominoes uh, yeah. basically what you suggested yeah um you even offered to lend me a uh, biscuit joiner or i forget what it was but uh a the drill press mine. no because we actually set up oh a drill yeah press. that's right yeah. that's what you told me because yeah. i ended up buying one just for the job there i said yeah. well the amount of holes that we got to make i might it as makes well just sense. yeah it up, thankfully right? i have a friend who you also know greg moak he lent me his. Oh, I know uh, Greg from uh, Cabinetry. Yeah, 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 yeah. super he, nice. He, he yes. lent me his uh, biscuit joiner. That's funny, and, and he was on that job too. Oh, really? The okay. one defense job that I was doing. Oh, yeah. That's where okay, I met nice. him. Yeah, and his crew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that yeah that happened to work out really well. Um, ninety eight percent of our work is uh, framing carpentry, but in the last couple of months, um, we have been getting pretty good and efficient at composite materials. So. After we frame a house, we'll come back in a couple months and do the deck kind of a thing. That's that's fun. I don't mind making that a regular part of what we do. Nice. Yeah. Keeps you busy. Keeps the crew busy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And plus it also, it kind of helps you build your skills too. Absolutely, yeah. You shift gears, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's 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 good all around, yeah. I want to I wanna get into a little bit of history. So, I mean, this is probably going to be up your alley, right? So, mm -hmm. I, I got to pull it up on my phone because yeah. uh, we're just, I'm that unorganized. Uh, hang on one <laughs> sec. So, framing history here. Mm -hmm. Brace framing. 
this is all terminology that I don't know anything about. So origin of brace framing is 1500s. Materials rough timber, 4 to 12 inches thick, 9 to 12 feet long. Required skill, descriptive geometry, crew size, large uh, joinery, interlocking timber, interlocking timber ends, wooden pegs. Bracing uh, is timbered knee braces, unsloping from the post to uh, girt, installed prior to framing, raising to keep frame square. You ever get mm-hmm. into timber framing? I've never done it, no. A I, lot of guys I, want to try to get I, it. It's, I watch the shows on... on yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different it's really world, right? Then we have bloom framing. Yeah. Origin is 1830s. Milled lumber, one mm-hmm. to two inch uh, thick, 14 to 16 long. Uh, skill, ability to cut a square 90 degree. Crew size small, uh, joinery cut or wire nails, bracing milled lumber downward sloping brace with uh, from upper third of corner to post to foundation sill. So basically what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And then you have platform framing. Yep. Origin is 1850s. Material is milled lumber, one to two inch thick, eight to nine feet long. Uh, a skill is ability to cut a square, crew size small, joinery wire nails, bracing milled lumber downward sloping at 45 degree. You've tackled both of those last, the second two, right? Yeah. Ballooning and, yeah, and yep. uh, platform That's framing. Pretty standard, yeah. So what makes a good framer, Moaz? Start from scratch, you got piles of material. Yeah. And you got the crew ready to rock and roll. I've always said that when you see a framing crew do their thing, it's like a symphony. Mm-hmm. There's, there's such artistic skill behind it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the alternatives as well, too. But it's very, very. Ideally, yeah, <laughs> you're explaining an ideal situation. It's not. It's very like magical when you see a mm-hmm. solid crew that works together. Yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to figure out for the listeners that maybe want to get into it or in it, and they want to try to get them better. Yeah. What makes a, a solid framer, a solid crew? I would say the answer varies depending on the type of a situation that you're in. So, for instance, in custom home framing versus subdivisions, for instance. Um, I would say there are enough differences where the answer to that question would vary. It's all framing, but, uh, you know, in, in custom homes, I would say paying attention to detail and accuracy is probably a little bit more of a priority than in a subdivision kind of a thing. In a subdivision, speed and efficiency are paramount. So I can speak more to our situation where when we're framing custom homes, um, the ability to communicate with the builder, general contractor, and even the client in many cases, it just so happens that on our builds, we've been pretty uh, one-on-one with the, with the client, with the homeowner, right? Uh, the builders that we work with are happy to let us have a more direct line of communication mm-hmm. with their clients. It just happens to work out for them. Um, so that's pretty key, I would say. Um, beyond that, just the basics. To be a good framer, you have to know where to put your time and where you can kind of... Uh, speed through things and you don't need to devote a lot of time and attention to certain things. Uh, where, where to focus your energy, basically. Where to work smart. Where to make decisions that will 
make your job site more efficient? Um, where can you, for instance, if you find a method where you can save time without detrimentally affecting quality, yeah. that's a big milestone kind of a thing. That's something you want to keep in mind. You want to have a system going. So if you work with people long enough, you're basically able to communicate with them without even speaking, right? So when you and a group of people are all on the same wavelength, <laughs> you all have similar expectations. Um, you know what kind of a product you're trying to put out, and everybody is in sync in those aspects. That's what's going to help your crew operate effectively, and that's what's going to put out a, a, a good product kind of a thing, right? So obviously, beyond the basics, you need to know how to uh, problem solve, yeah. for instance. Um, you need to understand the basics of building codes and standard practices and also better building practices. There, are, there might be three ways to do something, um, and you have to pick which option you're going to go with and your crew has to know what option that is and everybody has to, it goes back to everybody having the same expectations yeah. right um so i i have been uh, blessed to work on framing crews where the owner operator has very high expectations and he makes that clear to his guys and i've tried to emulate that system myself so all of the people that i work with know what I'm trying to achieve at the end of the day. And they all work towards that end as well. So that's pretty key. Um, I would say these are the, the basic things. So that, let me that paint a picture here because yeah. I know that subdivision always gets a bad rap and it's all driven by money. Yeah. So let's go. I, right I wasn't back. trying to imply no, that. No, 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 no. I agree. I totally yeah. will say that because you always get people saying that, well, it's piecemeal. So subdivision, track building, whatever, fast build, you know, yeah. homes like here in Canada, whoever's listening outside of Canada, you know, we're building homes in 19 weeks. Yeah. From the time that you dig the first shovel to the time that the homeowners move in, it's exactly. 19 weeks, right? Yeah. So that's fast. Every trade is paid an X amount for your service. Yeah. It's not an hourly. No. It's a scope. Yeah. It's never enough. But yeah. my question is, when it comes to framing, yeah. you're building a wall. Yeah. What is it that the track builders are not doing? Because the thing is, it still takes the same amount of time to measure out that wall, yeah. lay out all the timber that we need, yeah. nail all that timber up, raise that wall up, and then move on to the next task. So why is it that custom we start giving more effort and not, yeah. why, why can't we give the same effort? No, absolutely. I, I understand what you're saying. And then uh, again, I, I understand uh, where you're coming from. And I know subdivision framers that are really good at what they do. Yeah. And I know custom home framers that are not very good to put it nicely. I don't want to say anything you know, too negative. Um, so that's not a determining factor. Yeah, at that's all, what I mean. That's what right? I'm trying to say is that both environments <laughs> yeah. shouldn't determine the skill that you're providing. Absolutely. I would say some of the things that I like to do that may or may not be standard practice on a subdivision is, for instance, when we're sheeting a wall, we like to keep a small gap between the sheets so that, you know, you don't have any issues. For instance, if you're going to apply a stucco finish to exterior sheathing, yeah. If you have any issues with the sheathing, buckling, or whatever, you're going to see cracks in your stucco, yes. right? So we would like to leave an eighth of an inch 
of a gap between sheets kind of a thing. Also, when we're framing a wall, we like to do girts, blocking in between the studs. By code, I think it's only required if your studs, if your wall is 10 feet or, nine. or higher. I thought it was nine. Nine or, or 10. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, one or the other. Um, we like to do it. Even on eights? Uh, even on eights, yeah. We like for you guys. We, we, we like to do girts. Um, we'll make sure that we crown the studs all the right way and at, that our end studs are the straightest studs in the pile kind of a thing. Um, Let me interrupt you just yeah. for one second because it happened to me recently. Yeah. I had a moment where I was, um, what's the actual term when you're actually looking at lumber and you're looking for the crowns? There's a term for it. Uh, your, um, Crowning studs is what we call it, but I'm not oh, sure. It's something else. Someone told me about it. And I was like, I never heard okay. that term before. Well, yeah. send your letters. I'll read those ones. Yeah. But there's a term for it, right? And I actually, I was doing it and it actually brought me back to the moment that I was actually first taught that by my dad. Yeah. How to look down a stud and find out yeah. crown, right? Where it is. And I think everybody that's in construction, doesn't matter what trade you are, specifically if you're a framer, yeah. someone at some point taught you to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which absolutely. was just an interesting moment. So sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but I was like going, yeah, everyone gets that moment where you're trying to figure out crowns on yeah. studs <laughs> and you're like looking at things and yeah. you're trying to no, figure out. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So stuff like that. So like, for instance, minimum building, uh, minimum code, I believe is if you're doing top plates, the joints have to be staggered at least four feet, Right. Um, we'll try to not have joints or, you know, when you're on a subdivision, you don't have the options of putting in a lumber order. Your lumber package is given to you. And sometimes, you know, you're short. So maybe you'll go over to another lot and take some lumber. And now that crew is short. And so you're, you're basically, it, it's not any fault of your own. Limitations are placed on you kind of a thing, right? So we'll try to have... Like if I put in an, a lumber order, I'll say, send me 16 foot lengths of two by six for my walls kind of a thing, right? So we'll, we'll, if we have to join our top plates, we'll try to make it, you know, eight feet apart kind of a thing. I'll you center, correct me if I'm wrong, on yeah. drawings today, is that even specified or was it ever specified? Uh, four feet. Four feet, yeah, or any kind of, I know that there's probably just staggered. Top plate staggered. Yeah, that's it. I believe I actually read this in Ontario Building Code a long time ago. This specific thing. I believe so. Don't and quote is it four feet? That. Four feet minimum. Really? Yeah. Okay, that, I didn't know that. that. That's code. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. And will will I like to put my joints on a stud versus in a stud cavity kind of a thing? Um, we like to have our if the plates are waned, we like to point the waning up or down depending on the situation a wall is not a good example for the differences between custom framing and let's call it production framing. production framing there are a number of situations that you find yourself in as a framer where you have to make a decision do i do the basic just what's required or can i think of a way to do it better right and if you're going to think of a way to do it better you have to in all honesty, you have to be charging yeah. enough money so that you can afford to take those extra steps and do those extra details. I can write a book of the stuff that we've done in the past, um, but it's very situational. It's not like, you know, like, okay, let's frame a wall and let's discuss all of the differences in these two types of framing. You have to put me in the no, field. That's true. I agree. Yeah. And then I can explain to you exactly what I've done and why this is different. And, you know, that's 
my whole thing is I want to elevate. I, I, I'm always trying to find a better way to do things kind of a thing, right? And there are a lot of good framers out there that I've learned this from. Like, for instance, I don't know if I can, can I say any Of course, you can, names? yeah, totally, shut Like, up. for instance, I worked for Matt Fuller for yep. a while. Yeah. And he is one of the best framers I've ever met in my life. The level of integrity and the way he, he's always trying to raise the bar. I took that inspiration largely from him when I went out on my own. He's younger than me, yeah. um, more experienced, but I look up to him. There's someone out in Calgary or Edmonton. It's all the same to me. Uh, Tim <laughs> Varga. People like this are really at the top of the industry, and you can tell that they're always trying to raise the bar yeah. kind of a thing, right? So that is the main difference to me. It's not about – I wouldn't – group it into subdivisions or custom framing. That's not the, the main thing to me. It's, it's the people. Um, are I think you, it was more the mindset. Yeah, absolutely. For, for that's, some that's reason, I think it. people that, that are in production just automatically go to the mindset that I don't need to get that extra nail or I don't yeah, need to cut absolutely. that extra perfect. Yeah. I don't need to do any no, of that. And there was a discussion online recently about um, when you're doing a hip rafter, should it be... Can it just be straight or should it be beveled, you know? And a very respectable roof cutter who's called Roof uh, roof Stacker on Instagram. Okay. A lot of people look up to him. Uh, he's in uh, San Francisco, Dom Dominic, or I, I don't recall his name. I've talked to him okay. now and then. He said, there's a beauty to doing only what is required and nothing more. And for it to work. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. So I do respect that approach. Um, I apply that where necessary. And sometimes I try to think about, okay, what can I do to make this house last an extra 50 years kind of a thing? If I take, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes, can I do something that will lead to a disproportionate benefit in that 10 or 20 or 30 minutes? And it goes back to deciding... How are you going to spend your time, right? You can spend, you know, 18 months framing a house, trying to make it immaculate, but what's the, what's the payoff? And I'm not just talking about money. You know, what, what, what is that actually going to lead to? Is it worth doing all that stuff? Everybody has a, has a line between, for instance, speed and quality. Yeah. Everybody places that line differently kind of a thing, right? And that's perfectly fine. So you have to decide where you're going to strike your personal balance between between speed, quality, safety, all that stuff, right? And that becomes your operating principle. You bring up a lot of good points, man, because it I've only ever renovated older homes. Mm -hmm. And and I learned how to better my craft yeah. by understanding how the past was built. Yeah. It makes me nervous to think, because I probably won't be in this business still, like 30 years from now, and you're renovating a home that's being built today. Yeah. And if you get that mindset where it's like, well, it doesn't matter if we cut that hip like that. It doesn't yeah. matter if we do that. But if they're dissecting and then they're demoing that current house yeah. 30 years into the future now, yeah. what are the tradespeople from the future going to learn? 
they're going to learn that this generation back then was lazy and they didn't care at all. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because I had a lot of respect when I started dismantling a lot of these century homes, 50, oh, 60, yeah. 70 year old homes and things were cut perfectly. Yeah. And they stayed together for that amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we know that production houses that are just quickly turned out. We don't think they're going to become century homes at any given time. They're going to get demolished at some point, and yeah. they're going to get rebuilt again. But that's not what we should be doing. We should be building century homes whenever we get an opportunity to build them. Yeah, no, you want posterity to look back and say, wow, yeah. these guys took a lot of pride. We're currently renovating a 117-year-old house in Lawrence Park. And if you look at the way these people frame this house, it's exactly like you described. You're like, wow, these guys really took pride in their work they didn't have pneumatic tools or anything like that. It was probably like six Irishmen that were yep. working their asses off, yep. right? And they put out a product that lasted 117 years. It didn't need to be renovated. It would have lasted another 117 years. But yeah, you want to put something out there that you can respect and people that come after you will look at that and you know they'll 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 have they'll a feel good the example. same yeah exactly that's what you really want to achieve yeah, yeah. so no, I, I that, it's just you're right it's more about the it's not comparing walls to walls regarding track or production or custom yeah it's more about comparing the mindsets of that's, it because i just key. i've always said that at the beginning of any construction stage of when you're doing work it takes just as long to do it properly as it does to do it like crap. 100% agreed. Yeah. There's like maybe fractional seconds difference on yeah. like if you want to do like crap, it saves you a little bit. It's no yeah. different than just speeding in traffic. Yeah. You may get there a few seconds earlier, yeah. but you risk so much to get there. Yeah. There's no point in doing that. That's a great metaphor. I never thought about so that. I, yeah. That's how I've looked at it. So, I mean, it hasn't made me a lot of friends because I question yeah. it all the time. There's no reason to do it that way. Yeah. And there's every reason to do it the other way. Yeah. And then, like you, we just discussed, no, it, it, it leaves it for the future. And yeah. when, I, when I was dismantling these older homes, it was my education. I'm not yeah, formally absolutely. trained. I didn't yeah. go to school for construction. Yeah. I, wasn't, I, I just surrounded myself by people who had more knowledge than me. That's just how anybody grows, That's right? That's the best way to do it. So yeah. It's the best way to do it. You'll learn a lot from yeah. there. So when I was dismantling these older homes, I was learning. I was dissecting, figuring yeah. out why they did it that way. Yeah. And so true that never rely on all these modern day tools they're all great yeah they're all wonderful but things were built and things are still being built yeah with a fraction of the tools that we have yeah a string line and a and a hammer is all they needed back then i want to ask you about your arsenal of tools what do you guys was the crew running the same or is everybody all a mixed match of things uh, no, we're in terms of tools. Tools. I don't know what you guys are yeah. chopping with, what, what yeah, saws I, and hammers. I'm on the DeWalt platform. I think Kay. there's a pretty general consensus that the DeWalt rear, rear handle saw is probably the best. Okay, maybe that's a bit controversial. Tell that to, to the say. skill saw guys. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of well-known framers have testified that the DeWalt rear handle saw is overall the best saw on a framing site, power, all that stuff. I'm not a tool expert reviewer kind of a thing. Um, when you're on a platform, you're kind of inclined to buy tools because, you know, today a 9-amp battery costs 200 something dollars. So if you got the batteries, you got to get the tools that go with it, right? Yeah. Um, kind of a thing. So we're on DeWalt, uh, Stabila, the very first tool that we'll pull out on a new build is a rotary laser and I'm checking that foundation. That's the first thing that we're going to do. 
How are they that, looking these days? Uh, depending on the company, uh, to be quite honest with you, on the build that we're on, it was the absolute worst foundation wall I've ever seen in my life. How bad? I'm, I'm not going to say who did it. No, no, don't mention it. No, but I how, how, bad was, how bad was the it, plumber level? It, it, it was so bad. You know, the rebar that's supposed to be inside the wall was visible on the outside. The wall had no braces, so of course it looked like a banana. Wow. And I even asked, because the builder is very picky, someone that we work with all the time. He's a great builder. I asked him, why did you ever hire these guys? And he said they were the only people that were available. The client, this build was supposed to start months before it actually did. The client was making a whole bunch of changes. At one point, he was going to knock the house down. So by the time he was finally ready, the... Uh, foundation company that he normally works with who's great dgr uh, yeah they're, they they weren't available anymore so he was like hey these were the only guys that were able to do it um so that was really bad but uh you know gaitano any concrete forming these are the people that you want to frame after these guys are really good um so again yeah it it, it varies i'm looking at posts that my framer buddies are putting up online and there are some pretty wacky foundation walls outside of Toronto. You go up north, um, there's pr some bizarre stuff out there, and even in the city. But, you know, as a framer, you got to work with... It is not supposed to be bizarre. It, it's supposed to be yeah. straight. It's supposed to be yeah, proper. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be, but... You know. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. So you're pulling out the stability. So you, you're actually, you're starting off with the laser. You're double-checking, making sure everything's good. Yeah, we want to check for square and level initially, right? And... Uh, Something being out of level isn't the biggest problem. We can fix that. If something is out of square, that can create structural complications that we need to figure out before we proceed, right? So that's the kind of thing that we have to look at. If a foundation wall is significantly out of level, how are you going to frame the house? Your mud sills have to sit on a foundation. Yeah. If it's half an inch out of level and you cheated a quarter inch both ways, that's okay. The house isn't going to come down. But if it is significantly out of level, uh, uh, sorry, out of square to the point that your mud sills are not going to work, now some remedial work has to be done. I've never come across a foundation that bad. This is just a hypothetical scenario, at least to me. But uh, those are the first things that we, that we check out. Thankfully, we work for the same builders over and over again, and they use the same trades. So we have gotten used to good work like the site conditions are pretty good for us. I cannot complain. I've seen what's out there. I have absolutely nothing to complain about, generally speaking. I got pl plenty to complain about. <laughs> but uh, I'm still surprised that in North American construction, I'm actually going to just speak, I guess, in Canada, yeah. that we're still dealing with J-bolts, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. I don't think, like I, I got a chance years ago to use Titan bolts for the very first time. Yeah. And in my opinion, Titan bolts from Simpson are far superior than J bolts. And it I actually, I think it makes the job a lot better for you guys to start off as a framing crew mm -hmm. instead of having to figure out these J bolts. Now it's, it's no fault to the concrete guys or girls out there. Yeah. It's like it's poured. Everyone's at the end of the day. It's a long day normally. Yeah. And all of a sudden, okay, new guy, put the J bolts in. And they may not always be smack in the middle. And yeah. then you guys got to end up cutting a diamond hole to accommodate. And it's like, bring the case full of washers. Yeah. Right. For your original sill plate that starts the framing of the house. Yeah. When you could have it completely flat, beautiful, make it look like sidewalk 
and then just tighten bolt that thing down. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Like maybe, I, maybe that's one of the things that over time will start to change and we'll start to see. I haven't seen that products. many crews, concrete or framing use Titan bolts. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that, but I do agree that would be a superior product and application in this type of I'll situation. use Titan bolts almost yeah. on anything. Sometimes yeah. I, I'll go to Masaga and all uh, hardware and I'll just yeah. pick up four inch or six inch or five inch Titan bolts. Yeah. Those things are amazing. Like yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think over time we're going to start to see some things changing as new research is done and feedback from the trades and people saying they prefer this much better, I think, you know, there's still a lot of development and evolving to take place in the next five to 10 to 15 years. It's funny that you say that because there's so much changing for your framing, like the amount of crap that the OBC is asking us to do on the outside of the wall now. Yeah. Gone are the days of just sheathing with quarter-inch OSB and then letting it swell up to half-inch to make yeah. your standard, right? Yeah. Now we're adding two inches of our value plus sheathing. You're, yep. They're asking you to use certain systems, taping them properly, all yep. kinds of... So now your walls are getting heavier. Your walls are getting thicker. Yeah. That's a lot more stuff. But then what I find so funny, it's sitting on J-bolts. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, that's it's, a, it's that's almost a like why point. why yeah. isn't the sprinter have wood wheels then? Yeah, or yeah. you know I don't understand that it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Like no, you get, I agree with get, you. Change on that. all that stuff, but yeah. you what kind of nailers are you guys running? Uh, we're on a Hitachi or I nice. should say Metabo coil nailers. Yeah, that's our that's that's our go to. I've never gone into strip guns too much. Um, with LSL studs becoming more common, it seems like the Battery-powered strip nailers are better than uh, what we're used to, which are Metabo coil nailers. C compressor, pneumatic, or no battery? No, ba uh, battery. Battery, so I've Metabo just, battery, right? I've just seen them sink strip nails into, into LSL LSLs. material a lot faster and a lot better than uh, Hitachi, like... Hitachi nailers, I've always, well, now it's not called Hitachi anymore. I've always been told, and I've always used that, you know, these are the best nailers on the market overall. Yeah. Now there are so many more in the last 10 years, so many new products have been introduced. Again, I'm not a tool expert, but the two or three tool experts that I defer to on issues like this always give... Uh, ambiguous answers like there's no one nailer which is the best nailer kind of a thing but these these types of guns are becoming more common whether it's milwaukee or metabo or whatever the case might be um so i think i will have to invest in one or two of these because lsl is becoming a more common thing that we're seeing um so well, lvls the lsls and just um yeah. it's it's almost um it's really funny how soft timber is yeah and how much harder comparatively engineered speaking. timber is yeah yeah it's way denser and it's yeah. just insanely dense and and back to the two reviewers they can't tell you which one's better or the best because they're being paid by all of them sometimes yeah that's, that's the just case. the bottom yeah. line yeah. so you can't fair point uh, okay. you can't say this duck yeah is better than that duck yeah because i'm being paid by the whole clan of ducks yeah exactly so that's that and i rather listen to yourself or somebody that's yeah. on the job site that's actually experiencing these tools yeah because there's always new kinds of tools that come out sure i get it but uh i'm surprised i actually hear that the coil in the air, so it's actually stronger right eh? 
And you prefer the yeah. battery nail or over a compressor? I, I don't prefer it. I just mean specifically in LSL applications. Got it. And again, I'm not, I haven't had a lot of experience with those things myself. I just see demonstration after demonstration of these guns sinking nails in dense LSL material a lot more effectively than the pneumatic coil nailers that I'm used to. Really? So I'm increasingly convinced that, okay, maybe I got to spend $750 and buy one or two of these guns to supplement, not replace. Because to me, overall, the pneumatic coil Metabo N385A, I don't remember. That's, a, that's, that's an old school Ferrari gun, I, man. I don't remember the code. No. Yeah. That's my go-to yes. in all applications, like overall, right? It's just, yeah. Sometimes you have to have a bit of an open mind. And if something works better for a specific application, I'm not going to like ideologically hold on to. Oh, no, you can't. This. Yeah. You have to be a little versatile and kind of roll with the punches. So, yeah, that's something I'm looking at. So what are you guys swinging with? What kind of hammers? Um, we are a mix between Martinez and Stabila. I'm still on the old Stabila. I've had my hammer for... I don't remember how long. It's been a Wood long handle? time. No, no. Oh, titanium. Okay. Titanium. Man, uh, definitely 15 years. Or, yeah, maybe not 15 years, but close to it. I've been on Good. the same uh, T-Bone 2 or whatever it's called. So when I do eventually buy a new hammer, it'll be another Stabila. Well, what's I the reason? Say. There's no reason to buy a new one. What's wrong with not this yet? One? No. no, so far this has worked pretty well. Pouches. Yeah. What are you guys running for pouches? Um, I'm on Occidental. I think uh, one of our guys actually had a custom-made pouch because he's a smaller dude, and um, every pouch was just too big for him. So he had one custom-made. I don't know what the make is, but it it works pretty well for him. Um, yeah, I would say between yeah Occidental Badger. I don't think you'd find anything else on on our site. A lot of people, okay. A lot of people will talk about other brands, but I just I always said, listen, yeah. whatever's working for you and what you yeah. need to get done. Yeah, no, it's I as agree. simple as that, man. Yeah. Let me share a little bit of OBC talk here. Yeah. Uh, car garages and carports. If a roofed enclosure used for storing or parking motor vehicles has more than 60% of the perimeter enclosed by walls, doors, or windows, the enclosure is considered a garage now. Oh, nice. uh, garages are built in or attached must have okay sorry garages that are built in or attached must have floors that are sloped to drain liquids outdoors foundations for carports and garage superstructures must follow the rules for footings and foundations of other buildings one-story detached garages of less than 55 meters square which is 592 square feet Floor area that are not masonry or masonry veneer construction may be supported on wood mud sills or a concrete floor slab at least 100 mil or 3 and 7 eighths thick. That's it. Just wanted to share a little bit of that. Moez, man. Nice. Barbuda Construction. Where did the name come from? What's your background, man? Barbudo is uh, Spanish for a guy with a beard. I don't know. I think Portuguese is it's similar. Something yeah. like that. What, what yeah. part of what, what, what Spanish? So, so, so I'm mixed, though. I'm actually born in uh, the Middle East, yeah. Tehran. Yeah. Which part? Uh, capital city. Okay. Tehran, yeah. So yeah. Um, that's kind of my background. Barbudo, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a nickname that I kind of had. So that's, that's where that came from. Um, yeah. 
No, I love the name. It's great. And I love the logo as well, yeah. too, right? Yeah, thank so, you. But then, but then if you ever shave the beard, you ain't ever shaving the beard. Anymore. I can't now or else I'd have to <laughs> rebrand the whole thing. You can always do that or leave yeah. the beard. We all get older, man. Yeah, so. yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. So where do you, uh, like, where do you want to take the business now? Do you want it? Like, I know that with framers, you get that first crew. Yeah. You get that first amazing crew yeah. that works together then becomes like more work starts to come in. Then you yeah. start contemplating, do I start setting up a second crew? Yeah. Then more work comes in. Yeah. Do I start contemplating it? Okay, you know, he or she's ready to start forming yeah. that person, yeah. right? That, Are you there th yet? That's basically where we're at. I'm trying to set up a second crew. Um, the market is really tight right now. It's a as, challenge. As you know, there aren't that many people out there. And whoever is good at what they do is working somewhere and, you know, you, what, what, are you, what are you going to do in that type of a situation? I do, the people that I look up to in the industry, I have heard someone say, don't uh, expand. Yeah. It's not going to do you any, especially if you are the type of person that focuses on quality and you feel like you're putting a piece of yourself out there on every build that you do. If you get a second crew and you're not involved intimately in that project, you're going to regret it, right? Yes. On the other hand, um, sometimes you're kind of forced, not forced, but it's really hard to turn away a lot of these opportunities that are being given to you because you're voluntarily limiting your, you know, your resources. So... Yeah, I mean, I... I would say you do it educationally. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't... It's not a cliff and you just dive in. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Go not. down there and figure out how deep the water is first. Yeah. And then dive, right? Makes sense, But yeah. I think, I think you, you just do a little bit more homework before you make those big moves. Yeah. Especially in such uncertain times. I don't care how many people are saying, I'm busy, I'm booked, and whatever. Yeah. The... The floor can drop at any given time. Agreed. And you yeah. have to be prepared for it. So yeah. don't expand too much. I, I've yeah. also been noticing a lot of people have been pulling back on major tool purchases. Mm -hmm. I don't think the same is happening with vehicles. People are still spending stupid figures on brand new vehicles. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But they are. Yeah. I think it's going to bite them in the ass later on. Yeah. If things start to shut down, then they're going to have to carry these costs. It's great for the dealerships because they made all these deals. Yeah. Great salespeople. Yeah, that's what that. No, point, right? I, I I agree. I don't want to dive headfirst um, too quickly into anything. On the other hand, I do believe there is a problem with being overly cautious. Yeah, I do believe you could limit yourself more than you need to, and again, it's finding that balance in between. Right, everybody's everybody's line and balance is different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would love to have another crew. Um, but at the moment, it's not even possible. And like many framers I've spoken to, in, I, I operate in Toronto and in the GTA area, people are turning down work. People are not able to keep up with the demand. And so having more skilled workers, people that you can depend on and trust to represent you out in the world would be a potential uh, cure for this this problem right yeah. that would be a solution so you know that's kind of what what we're looking for but yeah again i i don't believe in jumping in into anything too soon a really good uh 
concrete guy, Gaetano, recently was on Instagram talking. He was answering this very question, and he was like, I will not get bigger than, like, he, he can grow exponentially. He can become a megastar, but he's choosing not to. Um, and I, I really respect his reasoning behind that decision. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, when it comes to GCs, because you're specifically working with GCs. Yeah. Very few times, I guess, you'll, you'll work directly with very homeowners. Few. Yeah, and, sometimes, and but rare. Next to no, you'll never see a designer or have a conversation with a designer unless there's some intricate stuff yeah. going on at the framing stage, right? Yeah. But most of the time, it's, it's GCs, yes. right? What do you want out of your GCs? Transparency, accountability, um, being responsible. Payment. Payment, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess that should have been number one, yeah. Um, you know... The others are just as important. Yeah, yes. it's just uh, the GCs that we work with, which we have a fairly long relationship with these guys, trust us to the point where sometimes the builder will give me the contact information for the architect and engineer and back out and say, you deal with this. And in all honesty, it works better for everybody that way. It's not a subcontractor's job that doesn't fall under the purview of structural framing it, to do that kind of a thing. Yeah. Again, it's one of the things that I like to offer. Um, and it has worked out. I, I, I don't recommend everybody goes down this route and, you know, 10 out of 10 framers will not do this kind of a thing from, from my experience, the hierarchy and the order works really well. You talk to the GC, the GC deals with whatever he or she has to do and, He'll get back to you kind of a thing. That works. Um, we have been in situations where we've done things a bit differently. And so far, it's, it's worked. But that's because we have very long and trusting relationships with these people. Yeah. If a builder trusts me to talk directly to the client and to make decisions, that says a lot about our relationship, right? So if you have that kind of a relationship with a GC, this might be an option for you. But more often than not, you know, that's that's not the case. You're right. More often than not, a trade is not talking to a designer yeah. or an architect. We happen to have a lot of exceptions, but that's just the way. Things but if have you been. do have those exceptions, which is great, because it yeah. means that your GC is confident in your crew and, and, and the business that you've built. Yeah. But also keep the GC in the loop of anything that's been going on because yeah, absolutely, they don't want to be kind of caught off guard right there yeah, at that that's point. Not, that's not good because clients love playing those games where well, we spoke to the trade yeah, and yeah, they yeah. agreed to do it. Yeah, but that's got nothing to do with the relationship that the yeah. GC has with the client, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And then yeah. like in, on on our current build, the homeowner is very involved. He's a builder himself. Um, we've had a lot of conversations. And I always make sure that everyone who is, has a vested interest in this has signed off before we, before we proceed. And if I get a sense that there are mixed signals, I'll make sure to stay quiet because I don't, at the end of the day, my responsibility is to the GC, yeah. right? As much as I love the building you, if you tell me you're, I'm, you want me to build your house, I would love to build your house and I know you and your family are going to live in there for generations. That's great. But I have to answer to whoever you hired as your builder. Yep. At the end of the day, it's business. That's what has to happen. That's how you keep it professional. I recently had a conversation over the holiday break there uh, with somebody that was telling me that um, the majority of homes that are being built 
or actually homes that are also being sold are under the square footage of the the selling or the building. Mm-hmm. And this is being done on purpose. And there's a lot of lawsuits going on in the States over this. So you're getting track. Let's go back to production. I yep. don't know. I don't know specifically if anybody, like I don't know personally anybody that's doing it, mm-hmm. but I'm being told that the industry is doing this. So you got to think about production building. Yeah. You got a house. Argument's sake is 2,000 square feet. But you build that house now at 1,900 square feet. Now you do that for a hundred units over a division. Yeah, that's a huge cost savings for the builder. Yeah, but the price is submitted by the tradesperson to do the scope of work, so they're still being paid their fee, whether it's nineteen hundred or two thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. But the builder is saving that hundred square feet of extra material, extra yeah. cost, compounded over a hundred units, and that's a lot of profit. Yeah. So someone's gotten savvy to this now. So when you're actually in the real estate market as well and you're selling homes, and it got me thinking that I guarantee you that if you went home to your home now, anybody who's listening, yeah. and actually measured, measured. Yeah. you're going to be under yeah. what you paid. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah. And it's a little sneaky thing that I found out recently because I'm going to be having somebody come on the show that has kind of uncovered this Mm -hmm. and now a part of this whole process. So it's just we never think to think of that. that. You 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 guys get drawings. Yeah. The house is this wide. You're basing off everything on foundation. Yeah. So you're given a stack of material and then you build the house. That's what it is. But you never think, okay, well, it's supposed to be a twenty seven hundred square foot house, but it's actually twenty five hundred square foot house. Where did that two hundred square feet go? Yeah. Went into the line pocket of somebody that's interesting yeah i never knew just little things that i kind of find out and make friends with that's all it is like i share this stuff and then people become my friend you know what i mean (laughs) no i just find it kind of interesting because you're always aware of it and and i'm like i've always been conscious of that stuff where i want to try to figure out what it is like okay so we're building this sure let's let's build this properly the way it's supposed to be built yeah you can't sneak around marketing and say well listen yeah we'll build you a 2700 square foot house but we're actually giving you a 2500 no homeowners ever walked into a finished building go yeah how many square feet is in here yeah and the reason they found out this is really funny this started because an engineer bought a house mm-hmm. and the engineer was suspicious and the engineer measured his own house. Oh, yeah, wow. And all of a sudden, the flags were coming up. Oh, interesting. So it was never a homeowner that would have caught oh, that. Yeah. But now they're going to be listening, and they're going to probably catch that's it. That's pretty good. So engineers <laughs> are good for something, I guess. Yeah, Engineers are good for a bunch no, of I'm things, I'm man. Kidding. So They're good people. Um, are we, you know what? You bring up a really good point. Are we over-engineering? We've always said we're this, We're always man. over-engineering, and, you know, I get it. It's, it's standard. It has to happen. Stuff's getting longer. Stuff's getting heavier. Yeah, I feel like some of these engineers have shares in Canadian steel because <laughs> the amount of steel that's going into these houses, which is absolutely not necessary, by Insane, the way. Eh? I get it. You want to over-engineer engineer that's fine they don't care how much this is costing to whoever's paying for this stuff right i'm not paying for it i'm indifferent from a price point of view right like whatever but man but it affects your business though more steel yeah that's you have to handle it differently you have to quote it differently no that's absolutely true so it does affect your business yeah no definitely but like for instance on our current build we swapped out a lot of what was supposed to be steel for four ply lvl with the engineer signing off on it of course and I was like, well, why didn't you guys just do this from the beginning? Like, man, a steel beam is not a cheap thing to, to, to manufacture and purchase and put up into a house, right? So, yeah, I mean, over-engineering is a part of the game. Again, I get it. 
an engineer is concerned about his or her liability. Yeah. They want these, you know, when you stamp a, sh a set of plans, you better make sure you didn't, you know, cut corners or overlook anything. I get that. But at the, on the other hand, I mean, come on, guys. Give us a break here. This I go back in time, though, when you're dismantling the older homes, man. Yeah. What were the roofs made out of? True two-by-fours. Yeah. Hand cut. Yeah, rafters. exactly. The ridge beam is a one-by-six. What are we doing to nowadays? Today, it's a three-ply LVL ridge That's beam. It's insane. Yeah. yeah so, no, but sure. that house has been up for 100 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, so I guess they just, just have the stricter guidelines today or whatever. Trying to, And I know that yeah. one of the first lessons I ever learned from an engineer was that they determine their numbers based on that dwelling being all by its, the, itself yeah. in the middle of a field. Yeah. So it factors in load, horizontal, whatever loads coming from all different directions. It doesn't consider your neighbor that's blocking load. Yeah. Doesn't consider your neighbor you. behind you, beside you, in front of you. Yeah. They think that dwelling is all by itself in the middle of nowhere and all these natural forces are pushing against it. So we need to meet these numbers. Yeah. I but that's you. not the case all the no. time. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, engineers also have a lot of discretion. They can override building codes. They can make sign off on things. And, you know, if, if your engineer signs off on something, when you do your municipal inspection, um, as long as it conforms to what that engineer has specced, that's all that matters, right? Um, we have built very elaborate, intricate homes designed by fairly well-known architects who are obviously trying to get featured in a magazine or something with this crazy house on a street where nothing looks like it. Mm -hmm. And the engineering has been terrible. I'm not a... I didn't get a 90 in, in calculus. Just, for instance, bearing very minimum bearing on beams that are carrying a lot of weight kind of a thing, the absolute minimum. Things being built in ways where you have three to four options where you can achieve the same architectural, uh, you know, the, the vision, whatever, it can look the same at the end, and you've picked the absolute worst way of doing it. And I'm trying to understand, and our, the most recent case that I'm thinking of right now is done by a very reputable engineering firm and that's why i'm so surprised and one of the senior engineers at this firm that i will not name retired and was training the new person and this new person was the engineer on our build and i don't know if that's a reason why but it's like like again i'm not an engineer this kid is probably but smarter you, than i am but you've assembled quite a month like a bunch of engineered spec yeah product and and going back to engineers discretion i know for a fact that if i showed this stuff to other engineers they, they would, question it they would be like absolutely no way not to knock younger people but i think being older generally speaking helps the engineer on this build happened to be a very young person when he was coming for the inspection uh well we had to take out our, our temp stairs because they were doing a concrete slab or whatever in the basement. So we had a ladder to access the site. And I asked the project manager, is the engineer going to be able to come up the ladder? I was assuming to see an old silver-haired individual. While we're waiting for the engineer to show up, he sends me a text and he's like, I'm running a little bit late. The streetcar is behind. I'm like, the streetcar? What? <laughs> this kid shows up and he's younger than me. 
And I'm like, my God. I won't knock that. I know a really good engineer that tries to cycle everywhere in the city. Because he'd okay. rather ride no, a no, bicycle, No, 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 absolutely. Right? I, yeah. I get that. And again, I preface this by saying nothing against you. You can be young. For instance, I mentioned a young framer who's the best framer yes. that I know. Age is not a factor, right? Race, whatever. Those, aren't, those are not the factors. But generally speaking, in my opinion, this may be unpopular or, or whatever the case might be. Age imparts wisdom it comes with experience generally speaking you want these guys to be not fresh out of the uft engineering program kind of a thing right you don't want an intern designing your house so, I, I wouldn't yeah so 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 that's 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 all that it is right yeah yeah um, I, I know exactly what you're yeah. saying you want their their boots to have a little bit of mud on them just exactly. a tiny bit of mud on exactly. them, right? Like, I and, mean, and again, you have to give young people an opportunity. If nobody lets a young person design anything, then what about when all these people retire? What's going to happen, right? We're just going to have a bunch of zombies trying to put things together. You have to strike that balance. I get that. Absolutely, 100%. You know, so th here, here's a problem out there. No, that it's we need fine. To no, solve, I, I agree with you. I mean, the thing is that, um, you know, they say that you should look at a, a person's shoes to get an idea of <laughs> what they've gone through. Yeah. I probably would have a lot more respect for a tradesperson or even engineer if I saw a little bit of the steel toe yeah, breaking through the leather. No, I agree. And I'm not yeah. saying that they went home and they arts and craft that. I'm saying yeah. I'm thinking to myself that that boot was actually on job sites. It's been worn out. It's been worked. It's been used. Right. Yeah. And I agree with you that I would be a little skeptical. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a trip that I took out for a brand out of Vancouver and we were doing a helicopter ride. And on the way back, the pilot was half my age yeah <laughs> half my age <laughs> and i'm not afraid of helicopters i yeah. love helicopters right yeah but the the first ride there was an older helicopter pilot yeah. and, and i didn't have a problem right yeah but when i hopped in and i saw you know I, I, macaulay culkin right in the helicopter yeah. there i was just like going mm -hmm. but then he became this rock and roller like he yeah, was yeah. just flying this thing as if it was a roller coaster and i was yeah. like okay now i got respect for him no, right 100 percent. but i, I you got to see it but i, I yeah. agree with you that if you got a young en engineer is different it's just you gotta you gotta cut your teeth yeah you gotta be on site and we've always said this on the show so many times that uh, engineers and architects need to spend more time on job sites i agree they yeah. totally need to see where we're and same with us we need to see where they're coming from too yeah but that's where you got you guys have that I say that same line where I'm not an engineer, yeah. but I'm using the exact same principle that this engineer that I respect yeah. on this particular case right now. And I know that the bearing should not be an inch and a half. It should be three inch. I know that the yeah. bearing, all that, like you, you just take that knowledge and you use it in the same thing in another story, right? Yeah. And then so. going back to one of our previous issues, perhaps this is a good segue into that. This is where as a framer, we can make decisions that, Hey, yeah, this is what the engineer spec, or this is what's on the plans, but there is a way that I can do this that I know yes, will be better. Very, I very know much. that. So give me the opportunity, let, give me the flexibility to do what I know will be better, right? If, if you are the client and I'm building your house, trust me, you want me to make those decisions. And engineers want tradespeople, specifically framers, to offer up those ideas. I Yeah, I, I appreciate that if there is that openness in the relationship, that's that 
just helps everybody yeah. kind of a thing. Right? Yeah. So, and then they'll look at it and they'll go, okay, that's great. But now we're having a conversation. Here's the thought. This is yeah. what we've done before. We worked it this way and it worked out beautifully. Yeah. Engineer would respect you. You're bringing it up. You're having a conversation. They'll sign off on it and move yeah. on. And yeah. And again, thankfully it just happened to work out that way for us. We, uh, the majority of our relationships in the past have all kind of been like that, where we have that ability to have a conversation. Um, and yeah, and that's just, at the end of the day, it's to the benefit of the client, the one who's paying these people. You know, these engineers are not cheap. 500 bucks for a site visit to walk through the house in 15 minutes. I've done walkthroughs with engineers where there were no lights in the house. He couldn't even see anything. And I asked him, hey, do you want me to get a, I have a light in my truck. You want me to bring it and shine a light? He's like, no, it's okay. 15 minutes. He obviously wanted to get in, get out, write his report and collect his $550 check. Right. So again, you don't want, you don't want that. Right. No. So that's kind of, again, what we're dealing with. It's the best when they show up and they, they actually make that loop. Huh? They just walk right. Around. And so as they're walking, they're already walking out of the job yeah, site. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are the engineers that start questioning, man. We're all just start. I'll come up with a bunch of questions just to ask them, man, just yeah. to keep them there. And then, then they give you that look going, why are you ask me all these questions? I yeah. go, cause you're not here by the hour, man. Yeah. yeah I keep exactly. you here all day long if I wanted to. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Let me share a little bit of Green Book talk here. So, hazards of cement board. Fiber cement board is a composite material made from cement, sand, and cellulose fibers. Using a hand-cut circular saw to cut can generate crystalline silica dust, which can damage the lungs if inhaled. Uh, specialty saw blades with four to eight teeth reduce the amount of uh, airborne dust. You should always use a vacuum dust collection system, VDCS. Um, a handheld circular saw with a particular enclosed saw blade also works better. A vacuum rated at 80 cubic feet per minute or higher. A filter of 99% or greater efficiency. And a one and a quarter to two inch diameter vacuum exhaust hose. When using VDCSs, keep the hose free of debris, kinks, and tight bends. Regular turn off and on the vacuum to reduce the dust buildup. Use a HEPA. Regularly change the vacuum collection bags and avoid exposure to dust when changing vacuum bags and cleaning or replacing air filters. I love it at the end when you're using a vacuum and then the guy goes outside and takes the filter and starts banging it, but mm. not wearing a respirator and it's just creating yeah. this cloud of, yeah. it doesn't make any sense at that point, no. man. We're getting to the end, Moa. So, I mean, did we, actually, I do want to ask you, mm -hmm. how bad is the lumber these days? On a, on a scale of one to ten. It depends on the skid that you get. Um, I actually went into the depot uh, three or four days ago, and I found the worst two by six that I've ever seen in my life. I wanted to take a picture of it. Should have bought uh, it and framed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's that's pretty bad. But it was at a time when you know sometimes you walk through the aisles, the shelves are pretty empty. There's not much left. It's all looks disorganized because a bunch of meatheads have gone through it. So you're kind of, you know, left with the scraps that everybody else didn't want. Um, we don't usually, we, I mean, typically lumber is provided to us, right? That's, that's the way it is. Um, but occasionally you have to walk into a big box and maybe catch a some, some Sometimes, yeah. So overall, I would say I'm not uh, too upset with the quality of lumber that we've been getting. Um, I would say it's more of knowing how to work with lumber that isn't perfect which is all lumber basically um 
Yeah, I would say it's okay. I'm I'm happy that lumber prices are starting to drop again. Reasonable. I mean, they, they have been for a while. They're still very expensive, right? A two by four. I'll sound like an old man here, but a two by four that I remember used to be a buck, yep. eighty something like that, right? Now I'm scared to know what at a some at, at a certain well, point I'm, a few I'm, months ago it was up to ten bucks for a ten footer, right? Now so, yeah, now it's uh, just over four. Just yeah. under four if it's yeah, 92 five yeah. eights, yeah. right? Like so a, a three-quarter inch sheet of tongue and groove plywood was $100 it's at a certain point in insane. time. Right now, what is it? 75 I don't know, something like that. It's so reasonable now. Yeah, so with with prices, you know, it's it's been tough. Uh, last year, cedar was really hard to get a hold of. Um, and this is Canada. Cedar. This yeah, is where exactly. the world looks for cedar. Yeah, exactly. So if we had that issue, you know, so... Um, but yeah, overall, I am happy with what we've been using in the recent, you know, in the recent past. I don't have any major issues. Yeah, I would say so. All right, man. I think we've covered quite a bit. It's always have, like amazing to have framers on the show. And yeah. I'm, I'm telling you right now, please speak to Summer and Ray and get the crew on and we'll do a whole framing show and get them yeah, hey, chatting away. I'm sure they that. got questions to ask, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So <laughs> I got respect for good framers. I mean, I've got. I don't know, something for framers who don't give a shit. But mm. uh, I do have a lot of respect for good framers that understand the trade and the skill and, and what's what's behind everything. And it ain't about showing up with the best tools. Yeah, That's not going to make you the best framer. Yeah, exactly. I don't care who, who tells you what on social media. The best tools don't make you yeah. the best framer. Yeah. No, and then, yeah, back to the issue. The most There is no most important trade. But what I will say is that framers set the stage for a lot of the trades that come after and a lot of the decisions that we make have major consequences for the trades. Yes. You know, so from that point of view, I would say structural framing is very important. Let's be very neutral and objective about it. I'm not saying better or worse or more important. It's very important. Are you so seeing a lot of uh, LSLs in shower areas of uh, framing? Yes, uh, but more so in tall walls. Tall walls are becoming pretty common from the last, I've bid on so many plans in the last like two months and very few of them do not have tall walls near this in the stair openings. Yeah. So it'll be double LSL tall walls. Um, and then for bathrooms and kitchens or wherever there's millwork, that has been optional. For the most part for me okay so we did we've done entire houses out of lsl but as you know that can be extremely expensive wow. um but uh yeah kitchens and bathrooms usually i will ask the builder if we can swap uh as spruce for lsl in those critical areas and to be honest it's mostly a budget issue of course if they can afford it that's great lsls these days are what three or four times more than a regular is, the, is it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm I asking. Know. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know. It's yeah. been a while since I've ordered or even bought an LSL or sorry. Yeah, LSL. Um, but for, you know, for exterior walls, LSL, some, like uh, on one build, we were asked to build LSL shear walls with plywood that has a specific nailing pattern, as shear walls do, and it was two inches on center. So when you're nailing, one thing I learned is LSL is terrible for this application because... When you're nailing plywood to LSL, that and the nails are that close to each other, all you're doing is splitting the, the, LSL. the strands, right? Yeah. So if you had to pull a sheet of plywood off, which I did have to do, it comes off very easily. It just really? peels right off like you're peeling a banana. Wow. So LSL, nailing, into, nailing sheeting into LSL has to be done with that in mind kind of a thing, right? 
So you don't have that issue if you're using LSL on an interior bathroom or kitchen wall. That's perfectly fine. What was the overkill for the purpose? I can understand the plywood for sheer wall, but that's on yeah. spruces, what I've normally done or seen. That's but for LSL and plywood for a sheer, what's with that over engineering there? That's a question for greater minds than oh, mine. I know. Right? I, that's, I a, know. That's, that's a red flag. But, but, I I, mean. but I know for next time now, I, I wouldn't nail sheeting into LSL that close. Like, you know, let give me a more reasonable nail pattern for a, for a sheer wall. But you put the nails that close and you're actually, it's counterproductive, right? Yeah, totally. But if it's, if it's spec'd, you know, that's, that's kind of what we got to do. Moez, man, thank you so much. Thank we, you. We have the 12 questions still. I want to do yeah. that. I'm looking forward to your answers. Uh, Barbudo. Barbudo Construction. That's right. Uh, Barbudo Construction at gmail.com. Barbudo underscore construction on Instagram. Ready for this? I believe so. What is your favorite construction word? Back charge. <laughs> No, I'm, I don't have a I don't have a favorite construction <laughs> word. <laughs> you don't have a favorite construction word? No, it's 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 situational. It's 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 hard to a lot of like uh, some of these questions. They're I don't have an a one absolute answer for them. It depends on the circumstance. It could be a whole thesis if you want to share a paragraph. By all means, do it. Yeah, I would say <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> what is your least favorite construction word? Then that's where back charge comes in. <laughs> can my least and and most be Far, the same I, word? Your answers could be yeah, any answer. You sometimes want. I'll get backcharged. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever been backcharged for anything. Probably I have been, but I don't remember. What would it be? Back? No. Uh, no, my least favorite construction word would be. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Good enough. Is that that's a phrase? No, no, uh, yeah, yeah that works too, man. What turns you on in construction? The ability to see what you've accomplished at the end of the day. Sense of accomplishment is very high in construction. Everybody knows this, whoever works in the field. Yeah, yeah. It's not until you do it then you actually experience it. Yeah. Uh, what turns you off in construction? Um, I'm not a big fan of a lot of people that work in the trades. Um, there's a lot of rough... You know, I, I feel like we've we've kind of normalized this construction caricature. Stereotype. Yeah. And I think we can do a little bit better at, at combating that. Yeah. So that's probably one of my you know, like if I if, if someone's smoking on site, I, I have a new rule now. Nobody can smoke on site. I, I, I just I, I hate that. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't want that. So so that's that's I would say is my least favorite aspect of this whole thing. Oh, good for you, man. Uh, what's your favorite curse word? I don't think you curse. I don't curse much. I would say uh, there's a Mexican slang term, uh, no me chingues or no mames way, which, again, there's, it's not one. You know, like, for instance, if you have, like, a an Eastern European, like, stucco guy on site and you hear him <laughs> say curva or something <laughs> like that, that word to them can mean 10, 15 different things, things right? Yeah, no, I know. So this is kind of like that. Um, but essentially it means like, dude, do not bullshit me or what the shit is going on over here. It's some variation. How do you of that. say it again? Uh, no me chingues. No me chingues. Chingar is a, is the verb. It's like the, the equivalent of the F word, but yeah, no me chingues means don't, me, don't F with me, dude. Like, don't tell me that. What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? I would say my, I, I, you know. I'm a Ford F-150. That's my truck. That's what I, 
that's my favorite to go to. It's been nice. it's been good to me. What's your least favorite vehicle? My least favorite vehicle would be any any vehicle that someone is using to make themselves self-righteous. Like, look at me, I'm saving the planet by using this uh, low-emission vehicle, and that's where the conversation ends. I, I disagree that you're saving the planet. I, I, I do I believe that you have, a con- you. you have a conscience, and that's great, but please lower yourself three levels before you talk about, you know, how little gas you're using. <laughs> I agree with you, man. What construction sound or noise do you love? Again, situational, I would say I, I do like the sound of a chop saw cutting through soft material, you know, nothing like, like e-pay, not anything like that. I like the, ni- the sound of a nice chop saw. Yeah. What construction sound or noise do you hate? Uh, an oscillating saw, a multi-tool. If I hear one of those cutting through some material, it sounds like death. I, I recently uh, saw some electricians use the brand new DeWalt uh, electrical stapler. Hmm. for for cabling ties right and stuff like that and i thought that was pretty impressive but i wish that dewalt would spend a little bit of r&d and trying to make their oscillating tool a lot quieter that would be nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day you know if i had to pick another trade other than framing it it would be anything it doesn't have to be trade related it would well well i if, if i could i would love to open a restaurant i would love to be a professional chef that's my that's my thing aside from construction or or maybe a university professor nice what profession would you not like to do i wouldn't like being a parking enforcement type of dude or the guy that you know the repo guy that comes and yeah, takes you for or, or any, anything anything related to that they get yelled at for uh, all kinds of stuff yeah last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at those pearly gates uh, I, I, I do believe in God. I, do, I would like to say that, you know, I've been a good person. I fulfilled my purpose in life. That would make me feel really good. Nice, man. You know, Mo, it's something absolute pleasure, towards. man. Yeah, pleasure no, thank you so much. You yeah, I'm get really you on glad. the show. Thank and you. thank you for taking the time to be on the no, show. No, thanks so much for having me. It was sure. a lot of fun. No, thank you great, to both man. of you. Yeah. Everyone check it out. BarbudoConstruction at gmail.com. And then it's Barbudo underscore construction on Instagram. Reach out to him for whatever, your next project. Or yeah, if absolutely. you're going to be hiring or someone wants to come on the job site. That would be great. Because you're looking, right? I think yes. everybody is looking. Yes, <laughs> me included. So please keep that in mind, people. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we are out of here. Thank you so much, Angelina. Right. We are gone. Thank you. Thank-